your host of Lovitz or Leavitz. Big round of applause for Mr. John Lovitz. Thank you, thank you. I want to thank everyone for coming to the John Lovitz Comedy Club and Vodcast Theater, Universal City Walk. You and the audience are here. We're also uh, live right now on uh, Ustream, so everyone that's watching uh, right now on Ustream, I want to thank you. And uh, I think this is, the, this is our first show that we've streamed live. By the way, if you want to see other interviews or shows, there's a show, uh, FYI, with these uh, two uh, major leaguers, uh, Robert Fick and Dimitri Young, and they have an exclusive interview with Lenny Dykstra. There's a one called uh, Talking <coughs> Marijuana, which is about the legalization of marijuana, and then John Lovett's Vodcast they interview uh, Gene Simmons, Gary Busey, and uh, it's a lot of fun. It's on the John Lovett's Vodcast Network. But now, I'd like to introduce my special guest, uh, you know her. She's a, one of the original cast members, one of the creators of Saturday Night Live. Ladies and gentlemen, Lorraine Newman. <laughs> uh, the first thing I want to say is uh, uh, if it wasn't for Lorraine, I wouldn't be here because... Uh, we were both, um, she was in the Groundlings Theater, which we'll get into. She helped create that company. But uh, I was in it, and she befriended me. And uh, the first time I met her, I was understudying a show that Phil Hartman starred in called Chick Hazard Olympic oh, Trials. Oh, you were so great in that. And it was part of the uh, Olympic Arts Festival in 1984 when they had the Olympics. And I got to understudy a show. An and improvised murder mystery. Man, it was great. Yeah, and Lorraine came, and they go, John. They go, guess who's here? Lorraine Newman's here with uh, uh, John Travolta who like, was the biggest movie star in the world, and she was doing the movie Perfect with him. Anyway, she came backstage and got mad at me and because she said, how long have you been doing this show? And I go, this is my first night. She goes, I oh, know, but really, how long? I go, no, this is my first night. She goes, all right, will you stop already? And she goes, how long? I go, that's my first night. I was, I'm understudying. She goes, you're kidding. Anyway, she befriended me. Because I was mad at him for being that good. <laughs> I was at it? Yes. He thought I was lying. Yeah. But... Uh, Anyway, she befriended me, and she recommended me to Lauren Michaels, and also uh, Charles Grodin, I got a movie, and he recommended me, but without Charles Grodin and without Lorraine, uh, I wouldn't have a career, so oh, yes, I so. can't thank you enough. I left no, my fairy godmother wand at home. But for those of you, who, if you don't know the Groundlings, uh, you know, I think it was in the 50s, they had an improv group in Chicago, the Compass Players. And then people from, and then became Second City. And then people from there went to San Francisco and started an improv group, the committee. Right. And then a guy from there named Gary Austin came to Los Angeles and started a workshop named the Groundlings right. in 72. But you take it from there. Well, it was an improv workshop. And uh, the most improbable people you can imagine were in this company. Um, it was Jack Sue, if anybody remembers him, from <coughs> Barney Miller. Um, but he was also on a show uh, before that called Valentine's Day with Tony Francioso. He was like his, his hip valet who was always putting him down, but in a really clever way. It was so funny. Pat Morita, 
Anybody remember him? Yes. Yeah, from the he Karate the Kid and yeah. Happy uh, Days. Tim Matheson was in the company. And uh, a lot of interesting people. Uh, actually, Martin Starr's mother was in the company. And, uh, Who? Martin Starr's mother, Jean Flieger. Who's Martin Starr? Martin Starr is one of the actors. He played, uh, I can't remember his name. He was on Freaks and Geeks. What was his oh, name? Oh, oh. On the, uh, what was the character's name? I don't remember the character's name. Anyway, great performer. Um, and it was just a workshop. We were in this little uh, theater on Vermont called the Cellar Theater. And uh, we moved several times, and we ended up at the Oxford Theater and uh, voted on a name. Uh, there were two names up for proposal, the working <coughs> class and the groundlings. I voted on the working class. Everybody else voted for the groundlings. <laughs> and that, the rest is history. And then you were, which it's, a, you know, it's one of the, now it's very well known, but it's one of the premier sketch comedy uh, groups. And I actually think, uh, at the time anyway, it's better than Second City. I was in Chicago in 93. I went to Second City, and they said, you want to come up on stage, do some improv? I said, sure. So they took suggestions from the audience, and then they had an intermission, and for 45 minutes they, like, said, all right, they outlined all the sketches. And I'm thinking, well, that's not improv. That's uh, the groundlings. You'd go on stage and said, you know, you're a clerk, you're, you're here to buy a shoe. Lights out, yeah, you it, go. Oh, you just, God. I it's, mean, it's really frightening. I go see shows now, and I, I could never, ever do the stuff that they do now. I, th I really think that they've created a lot of new forms. Um, but the shows they have are so innovative. They have, have you gone to see the black version? The black version? The black version, of they do. What? They've written about it in Rolling Stone. <laughs> Uh, this, this current issue of Rolling Stone has an article about it. Uh, it is an all-black cast. The audience selects an iconic movie, and they improvise the black version of that movie. <coughs> and it is incredible. Key and Peele were in the original cast of that, movie, of that uh, improv show. And uh, it's just unbelievable. They do... Uh, Where's that? They do that it's now? It's at the Groundlings, yeah. It's a Groundlings show. Oh, it's show. at the Groundlings. Oh. Yeah, it's a Groundlings show. I haven't been there in a while. They do, another, they do another show called The Personals, where uh, Brian Palermo, he, he curates the show. He, um, he finds the most outlandish personal ads, and he, he reads each of them, and then uh, an actor is selected to create a character based on the ad. And then they have to do an improv where they pair the characters. It is so difficult but when you watch it. But they do it, it like it. immediately, Immediately. Right? It they is don't go backstage so, and rehearse no, it. No, no. That's it not improv. So, I mean, these people are so well, skilled. that's what they did at Second City. I mean, Second City's great, but I heard they, they, like, they write sketches, and then new people will come in, and they go, here, here's a sketch from 20 years ago. Listen to this and imitate it. And I said, don't you create your own characters? And they said, no. Well, and I go, well. I've never seen Second City in Chicago, and I know that they have a lot of... I, they have a lot I mean, of great I, I people. Think, yeah, I, I don't know if your experience might have been a little unusual, because I can't believe... Well, that's it. just what they told me. They listen to old tapes. You know what I don't get is you were in the Groundlings Theater, without naming names, uh, when you got to Saturday Night Live, I know there was a couple other people that were offered a job, and, and my question is, they turned it down, but you didn't. Why? Why did they turn it down? Well, or? why did you not turn it down? And the, yeah, I think they turned it down because they were working, I, I understood, and... And it was a new show, and no one well, knew what it was, but you actors, said yes. 
the actors that turned it down were more experienced than I was. And they had done a lot of so-called summer replacement shows, and that's how it was presented, although it did start in October. But um, it was a 13-week show with a five-year option, and you know we thought that would never happen. But um, a 13-week show? Yes, yeah, 13 weeks. Oh, it was that just going to be 13 weeks, and so they just figured, oh, it's just it's going to be in New York. We don't want to go away. Um, and one of the people had committed to build the new theater, and he just wanted to honor his commitment. So, to his credit, you know, that was one of his reasons. I and know. Yeah, he, I, yeah, he built I, the theater, and then, and then the groundlings kicked him out. Oh, well, that's we a pleasant just story. Moving right along. Um, but I did it because it sounded like a show I would watch. Um, well, how did, did Lorne Michaels describe it to you? He presented or? it to me as a cross between Monty Python and 60 Minutes. <laughs> I did not know what that meant. But I knew that it would be doing sketches and doing characters, which is what I loved and what I was trained to do. We were all trained to do that. But did, I read that you, is this true, you, you auditioned for a lot of theater companies in England? Yes, I did. And when I graduated high school, I knew I wasn't going to go to college. Um, and I was kind of floundering for a while. And then I, I wrote to the Royal Academy and the London Academy in Bristol Old Vic. And I had to do, go to New York to audition for all these schools. And I did a selection. I had adapted um, a scene from the book Franny and Zoe. And I had also done a, a, a scene from Twelfth Night, Shakespeare which was kind of ballsy when you think about it, doing that for Brits. But I was uh, accepted into a group of 80 people out of 300 for all three schools. And then I had to go to London for the final audition. And, uh, oh, God, I, one of them was like a weekend in, in the city of Bristol. And uh, one of the things I had to do was tell a joke. And that was just a nightmare because... I endeavored to tell this joke that my friend Dory's mother told me, and she had been in vaudeville. So the joke was really racist. And at the time, I, I didn't really realize that. And I got it out of order. So, I mean, I just must have come off like the biggest jerk. I, I just, you know, it was like farting on stage. It was just abysmal. How old were you, 17? I, I was 19. And uh, there are no excuses. And so I was just in London, rejected by all three schools, and just thought my life was over. Um, and then my mother suggested, I had studied mime, actually, uh, for three years before that, uh, and improv. And so I, I went over to Paris and uh, ended up studying mime with Marcel Marceau for a year and a half. Marcel Marceau? You studied mime? Yeah. What did he say? I, did I he did. say anything? I, well, he... He, well, yes, did he, he did, he did, he did, he spoke to me. I hate to say it, but he did. Well, what was he like? He was great. He was a great teacher. It was a very rigorous school. I mean, first of all, it was five stories up in an old opera house. So every day, walking five stories up in a circular staircase, fencing, acrobatics, ballet, and mime technique every day. And I was in the most incredible shape of my life. I gained weight for the first time in my life because I was a skinny kid my whole life. And I also lived on a street that was an open-air market. 
So let me see. What it I sounded was, very romantic. It was. Paris it was great. It was great. And how many times did you sleep with him? Um, well, we mimed sleeping together. And you didn't mime that? I beg your pardon? Well, how, how big was his mime. imaginary mime dick? <laughs> that big? So then you had to mime a vagina that big. My space work was really good. Can you do a wall? Can you make a wall? This is one of the things he taught me, which was, um, it's not that easy to do, actually, but, uh, and I, I think it was to do a snake or something, an animal of some kind. I don't know. Were you trying to get into his company? He had no company. Oh, there wasn't? There was no company. Oh, it was just a school? Yeah, it was a school for mimes. So practical. And then he would send everybody out and say, good luck. Yeah, actually... Or did you know, he say anything? It was, you went, know, this was the... <laughs> Good That's point. how you know you passed? So what if you didn't pass? You. It, you know, he was a really nice guy, and a lot of these kids spent every dime they had just to get to Paris. And once they were there, they had no money, and he ended up supporting a lot of these kids. And, um, you know, eventually the, the school had to close because... Oh, you know. did he speak English? Yes, he did. He spoke English. So then how long were you there in the mime class? You said six months? A year. Oh, a year. A year and a half. ADD. Hmm. But I tell you, uh, we actually, it was only uh, French and sign language was spoken in the classes because a lot of students were deaf. They were deaf? That is correct. Well, that's, well, uh, maybe this is wrong, but it seems to me a mime, a deaf mime is, is cheating. <laughs> because they've been miming up to the point they entered that school. You know, right? John, it's, it's been I, over 30 years. It's not like anyone deaf is going to hear this. I've mm. never... I don't know. considered that, but I think you have a good point. But it's, you know, it's like doing stand-up without the need to talk. No, I, I couldn't do mine. That's very hard. But th so, then, so then you were there a year and a half, and then what? You just said, I'm going back to America, or you, you didn't want to stay in Paris? Or? Well, the, the school had closed. Oh, you were there when it closed? Yeah, so um, oh. I went back to L.A., and um, a friend of mine wanted to, me to be his audition partner uh, for the uh, drama school at CalArts. So um, I was, and they offered me a spot at school. Oh. And, uh, was Robert Fitzpatrick there? I don't know who that is. He was the uh, chancellor of the school. I, I don't know, but that's where I met Paul Rubens. A.K.A. Pee-wee Herman. Is that how you got in the Groundlings, through, or that's just a coincidence? The Groundlings hadn't, hadn't started at that point. It, it was not in existence at that point. That's how he got to the Groundlings, through knowing me. I recommended it to him. Oh. 
And what were you studying at CalArts? Well, I realized that <coughs> once I was at CalArts that I did not want to be an actress in the traditional sense. I didn't really, um, you know, they were doing all sorts of emotional exercises and I, I was just really uncomfortable with revealing aspects of myself that were really what it meant to be an actress. So I understood that this was not really for me. But they also had an improv show that they were doing, and that I did, and I did it with Paul. Oh, wow, that must be cool. Yeah. Well, you know... His hair was this long at the uh, time. What I want to know is, like, everyone knows the story about the first show of Saturday Night Live and everything, but what I'd like to know is when you got to New York, what was it like putting the show together and meeting everybody for the first time, and did you... You know, did you think it was going to work or all this, that kind of stuff that nobody would know but you and the people well, that were there? You know, I, my, I was very myopic because, um, you know, I was very young and so I was very self-involved. Uh, the first friend I made was Gilda and the show had not been fully cast at that point. So we watched a lot of auditions uh, it, it, was in a, it was in a rehearsal hall called NOLA, and you got into this oh, yeah. industrial elevator that went down, you know, and then into this hall, and we watched a lot of actors that I eventually was like, oh, watching Law & Order, I was like, that person auditioned for, and countless people that I've eventually seen in all these shows that are shot in New York, they all auditioned for the original show. Was there anyone that auditioned that you thought was, like, was um, is known today as a, like just a great actor and they didn't get it? Um, I no, but I know that it was between Jane Curtin and Mimi Kennedy. Uh, if anybody knows who Mimi Kennedy is, she's a character actress and she's really good. Um, they were both like neck and neck, you know. But it was clear that that Jane was just. I remember fantastic. I was on the show and and. Uh, my first year, Lauren came back, and, and they, I didn't know you were at NOLA. They, remember, they brought us to NOLA Studios, and they wanted us to do uh, improvs. And we did them, but they weren't very good. And then, remember, <laughs> Dennis Miller and I, we did something where, and then he, like, got me in a headlock, and we're, like, re he, like, knocked me off a chair, got me a headlock. It was very funny. Nice. The, we, we tried that, I mean, too. I wasn't hurt. It was funny. We were laughing, but it was just... I remember we went to that NOLA Studios. Mm -hmm. we, we tried that, too. Lauren got us together in his loft, actually, to do improvs at the cast. And uh, we tried that a couple times. It didn't really work. We did do one improv, though, Jane and Danny <coughs> and I, of an alien family. Um, uh, and I think that that eventually was the foundation for the Coneheads. We had the voice. I came up with the voice at that point, but... It was nothing. I mean, it wasn't the any of that. You didn't have a cone head? We did not have a cone head. Can no. you do some of it? Well, what? Oh, God. Why? Why? Why, Mebs? Why? <laughs> John. Oh, I feel like a dog. Trained dog. Sit, stay. What about your uh, Valley Girl character? Was that did you d do that? In the, well, obviously you must have done that in the That's Groundlings, right? That's one of the things right? that got me cast on the show. Um, but I, boy, 
A lot of people loved that character before I did SNL, and I got an audition for Bob Hope doing that character, and I was brought into his dressing room. Bob Hope's dressing room? Bob Hope's dressing room. He had like a, he was holding onto one of his golf clubs, and he had a bunch of his buddies in the dressing room with him, and I did the monologue, and I swear to God, he looked at me like, uh, that doesn't even belong in the same room as show business. Uh, he just did not get that character at all. And uh, Joel Silver, who at the time was Aaron Russo's uh, assistant, hired me to be in the Manhattan Transfer Special. And I had my first day of rehearsal, did the character. At the end of the day, I said, Joel, what time should I be there tomorrow? And he was like, oh, God, you know, you're fired, you know. Because oh, they no. did not <laughs> get that I know character. Tim Hauser. He's one of the lead singers in Manhattan Transfer. Yeah. I'll give him a shit about oh, that. Oh, boy. So, um, but yeah, that, uh, it was so nice that, um, and when Frank Zappa, actually, he, when he did the show, he was fascinated by that character. He really wanted to do something with it, but we never really got around to it. But then he did that song with yeah, the, he his daughter? Yeah, he did it with his daughter, yeah. Oh, and that's why he saw it first with you? Yeah, I think he was just really fascinated. But he's from, you know, he's from Cucamonga. So he grew up with that same kind of thing. And then your your favorite character was uh, Lena Wertmuller? Oh, well, it's one of the favorite ones, yeah. I mean, I have a lot that I really love doing. But that was one that was just, that I created while I was at the show. And it was just, you know, so idiosyncratic and... You know, I had no idea what she was like, but I loved her movie. Does anybody know who Lena Wertmuller is, was? Yeah, she was like an, an Italian filmmaker. She made all these really strange political sexual movies with Giancarlo Giannini, and I think Madonna remade one of them, Swept Away, Swept you away. know? Oh, yeah. But they were really just out there, and she was such a character. I mean, she had these big glasses and the, you know, cigarette holder with a cigarette, and... I just tried to imagine what she might have sounded like, and, you know, I just loved doing that character. Well, what was it like for you when they finally were going to do the first show, and, you know, it went on air? What were you, were you thinking, gee, what's, what were you thinking? Well... Think it's going to work, not work, or... George what? Carlin was the host, and uh, we had a scene that... We had a sketch that was cut that I thought was so funny... And I could not understand why, because there was so much left in the show that was just kind of uh, not funny. Uh, <laughs> we did Alexander the Great's high school reunion, and it was hysterical, and it was cut. And so I just, you know, the format of the show, now when I watch those CDs, because I haven't gotten through the, you know, the five-season five set by a long shot, I haven't been able to watch them, but um, it, it was really apparent to me how long it took us to really find our format, you know? Yeah, everyone always says to me, they go, what? they'll say to me, like, oh, you were in the best cast, and I go, well, I don't know. They go, what do you think the best cast ever was? And I always say this, I go, well, I go, to me, the best cast ever was the original cast, because they, you guys created the show, and everyone else is just following in their footsteps. I go, so, I mean, they invented the thing. And the, what was, I mean, what was some of the stuff like you used to do and then you like, 
they said, no, nah, that doesn't work. Let's not do that anymore. Was there stuff like that or, or bits or, you know, how did, they, how did it evolve? Like, and when, when did you realize when it became a phenomenon? Like, what, like what show, point in the show? Well, that's hard to season? say. I mean, you know, uh, but I think about the 10th or 12th show, it, it had really uh, solidified in terms of, you know, host comes out, does an opening monologue, go to a sketch, go to a commercial parody, uh, come, you know, go to commercial, come back, another sketch, you know, host introduces the musical guest or, you know, um, one of the cast members introduces a musical guest. We had the Muppets. And, uh, you know, it's just, that's really, you know, how it went. Um, and then I, I can't remember what, and, then we, and an update, of course. Uh, but I think, you know, over the years, the show has a personality, and it, it has a personality with its cast, and it has a personality with its writers. And so I think it's really hard to say who is the best cast. You know, um, yeah, I don't think there is a bet. I mean, I don't think there is. I either. say it's, yeah, it depends who's doing it. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, the guys that, to me created that you guys created the show. It's like, well, how you can't talk. I think that. the writers are really uh, who created the show. I think it's really about the writer. The writer is the show, to me. Really. <laughs> well, you can't do anything without the writer. What what was I, a personal question for me? I got really close to uh, Herb. Speaking of writer, Herb Sargent, mm -hmm. who'd written on the, Herb Sargent was like written on the Steve Allen show and a, a ton of shows, and he was like, what was he sixty when? I think so. Yeah, he was. And everyone's young. What? But he anyway. I he was in charge of Weekend Update, and uh, he became almost like a father to me. We were very close. He's really funny. What? But what was Herb like back then? Well, he Here's was an established writer from all these shows, and then all you new guys come on. What, what was he like? Well, he was like the elder statesman, and he was very inscrutable. He hardly ever spoke, but his eyebrows said everything. You know, um, he always wore his glasses on the tip of his nose. He had this shock of white hair, very good looking. He was dating Gloria Steinem, and. Um, he just, uh, he just exuded this kind of uh, quality of steadiness that I think we all needed, you know? Yeah, he was a, a great guy. I got to host the, uh, no, I got to be on the Oscars once <clears throat> presenting an award. Oh, really? Yeah, and I, and I would, went over my joke and I was like, on the Oscars, and I went to, part of it was I went, to be or not to be? Thank you. My Hamlet has now been seen by over one billion people. <laughs> and I called Herb. I go, what do you think? And he said, say, he said, say next year, Macbeth. <laughs> That's great. That's great. <laughs> that was his sense of humor. He, he was hilarious. Well, so then, so you're doing the show, and you became friends with Gilda, and who else? Dan? I mean, I know you're friends with everyone, but who became like your closest um, friends that you would hang out with? And I really hung out with Gilda and Dan... Uh, uh, Franken and Davis, who lived in my neighborhood. Um, <coughs> Tom Schiller. Ah, oh, gosh. Did you ever think Al Franken would be a senator? God, no. But it's I mean, unbelievable, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, what an accomplishment! But if you know Al, you'd be like. He's just—he's such a hothead. I just cannot imagine him in politics. I mean, he's smart enough. There's absolutely no doubt about that. He is absolutely 
such a bright guy. And I mean, he, he went to Harvard, so you know, there, there's no you know doubt about that. But he's so passionate about his beliefs, and and he gets so aggravated. He does not suffer fools gladly. No, he has no so, tact. God, you know, being in He hired me politics. for Saturday Night Live, Alan Tom. They saw me. Well, they I had an audition for them mm-hmm. after you recommended me, and then they, you know, and an agent and everyone else. But they brought me in to meet Lauren. But uh, he, I, Al Franken, <clears throat> he, I can't imagine this. Tell me because I wrote a sketch where it was like called the Al Franken School of Etiquette. And it started <laughs> off with going, hey, hey! <laughs> you, you know, we, I mean... God, I'll just tell you the story. He said Oprah Winfrey was hosting. This was my first year, and they said, uh, so you go in, I imagine you do the same thing with the host, come in Lauren's office, and you don't sit around. Yeah, Yeah, so the same here. (coughs) Well, obviously, Lauren did the same thing. So Oprah Winfrey's hosting. This is like 1985. And Al goes, anyway, we had an idea for a sketch for your Aunt Jemima. Oh. And my jaw dropped open, and I'm like, well, why don't you just say, you know, because you're, you know, fat, black lady. I mean, it, well, that's what was inferred, clearly. I, I couldn't believe he said it. And then everyone went around. She goes, no, I don't want to do that. And then 10 minutes later, Jim Downey, was the head writer, he comes in. They go, Jim, do you have any ideas? He goes, oh, has anyone brought up the Aunt Jemima idea? Oh, and I'm <laughs> she goes, I don't want to do it. Damn. But they ended oh. up doing a sketch where uh, Denitra Vance, God rest her soul, <coughs> the, the, the color movie The Color Purple was out. So the cold opening was uh, uh, um, Denitra talking to, um, as Whoopi Goldberg's character in The Color Purple, talking to Oprah. And Oprah goes, I don't want to do the Aunt Jemima sketch. You know? She goes, what should I do? And I think Denitra goes, beat him. And then Lauren goes in, the, he goes, uh, Oprah, I want to talk to you about the Aunt Jemima sketch. And he goes in, and you just hear this big fight. And the door <laughs> opens, great. he's got a black eye. And, you know. <laughs> That's fantastic. And, uh, we, we had a situation where um, I had been imploring them to have Christopher Lee host the show. Because I, I am a big horror nerd. And at the time, nobody knew who Christopher Lee was. But he, you know, I mean, you know him now from Lord of the Rings. But he was... They didn't big, know who he was? They, didn't, they they just didn't see him as a host because you know he oh. wasn't like he was a character actor, but he was from all these Hammer films playing Dracula. So the first thing he says when he comes to host the show is, "I do not want to play Dracula." So you know we were just uh, at a loss, but he turned out to be a fantastic host. You know he was such a funny guy, great raconteur, and um, great voice, right? Oh yeah. Great. What about uh, the, the famous story when Milton Berle hosted the show? Oh my God! He was telling everyone how to do it, or what? What? What happened there? He just was not a very nice guy. Um, you know, he just came from a a, a background that that um, made him very surprised at what we did or did not know. Like, you know, he was with Jane and Gilda and I, and he said, uh, do a little two-step, a sh- you know, a, a soft shoe, like tap dance. And we didn't know how to do that. He says, where's your talent? <laughs> you know, and, and we looked up to him. He's Uncle Milty, you know. So it was really hard to have someone like that say that to you. 
Um, so he was not beloved. But did he? But was he ever looking back on it when he would say do certain things? Was he? Because uh, he kind of invented. I mean, he was the first. Yes, he made he did. live television huge. But was he, he right? Uh, you know, he would change stuff on air. And he is from live TV, and he should know that you should. <coughs> you really shouldn't do that. I think that's why Lauren does not broadcast that show. But then didn't? But did he change stuff when he did it live on air? He I don't go? know the answer to that. But I think that you know, in the context of his show, it might have been all right. But he didn't have other actors depending on cues. Do you know what I mean? Oh yeah. I mean, our show was str strategic in that way. Did you have cue cards in the show then too? Oh yeah. Didn't you? What well, we did, but I remember my first show. Penny Marshall was hanging out. Uh, the first two weeks of the show, and then she says, um, she, watched, she befriended everybody. Oh, and she gave me a, 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 a lunchbox for the opening show. It's, it was said Knight Rider, and in it was like, you know, Maalox and Aspirin. It was like your Saturday Night Live kit, and I didn't understand why she gave me all that stuff, and then I started doing the show, and mm -hmm. I got it. Yeah. It was nerve-wracking, but she, after the first show, she'd say, she called me up, and she goes, learn your lines. I'm like, oh, can you tell I'm looking at the cards? Because I'd never used cue cards. It was my second, uh, William, I don't know. It was the first real regular TV job I ever had. I had like five shows on a sitcom once. and I didn't have a lot of experience uh, on Tommy, TV. And Tommy I thought Flanagan I could look the at Tonight the cards. Show. Yeah, the liar characters on The Tonight Show. But I thought, well, that was straight to camera, so that was easy. But the, I thought on Saturday Night Live, like, you'd, you'd see a cue card, and you'd, I could look really quick, and nobody would notice. <laughs> and, of course, you just see my eyes going, like, yeah. darting like crazy. So she said, learn your lines. So I said, all right. I go, you can see my eyes moving? She's like, yes. I go, oh, I didn't think you could see that. And I would just spend hours, if it was a sketch, learning my lines, and it was really hard. But to camera, I would say it. Well, what did you do you know, when they cut lines and change stuff during between dress Well, I would go at, well, you know, they have dress rehearsal I'm engines are exactly the same. <coughs> you from 8 to 10 and then they'd pick the show. They'd be like we'd have 14 sketches, they would cut 6, which is almost an hour show. And then we'd we'd go in Lauren's office at 10:30 and you'd look on the board and see what was in or out. Put the I, and then I would, on the back of my uh, script, I'd write I'd make like if I had five scenes, I'd write the order of the scenes as it would, the new order in the show, and then I would write notes on there. Mm -hmm. And also, I noticed, honestly, I was the only one writing down what the notes. I don't know how the other people did it, because I, I couldn't remember. Right. And but I, I mean, what about internal cuts in the dialogue? How did you... Well, I would, I would write it, and then I would have to remember... I, I would write down the cuts or the, no, some of it, but mm -hmm. I, I, would, I would look at the cards sometimes, but mostly I would just... I'd write the notes, and then right before the sketch, I'd, I'd stare at the notes and go, okay, and then just go. And, I mean, That's you had to make your, your short-term memory, like, really good. That's well, fantastic. I didn't remember the cuts, but, I, I mean, you kind of had to... Wow, I, I just got really good at reading the cue cards because I had this one bit that... Uh, well, sometimes I would, re I would look, but mostly I would learn, learn the lines. But the cue cards, one time they held them up. They gr I was doing Lewis... What's his name? Brock, not Brock, Buck Wiles, I don't know, from Wall Street. And I was saying all this stuff about Wall Street, and the cue card guy, he tilted the card, and I couldn't read it because the, the light was glaring, and oh I just God. started making up all this stuff. It was ridiculous. Uh. <laughs> about Wall, I don't know what I said. 
Anyway, the market was bull, and there's a <laughs> cow coming along shortly. And I, I don't know what I said. You want to hear a funny story, though, about Milton Berle? Totally. Maybe you don't know this. Alan's white bell was an original writer on Saturday Night Live, and, and as you know, he wrote with Gilda a lot. So I said, so Milton Berle was known to have a huge cock. So I said, you didn't know that? Yeah, like, it's a famous. He was like, he would show everybody, and he would, like, Forrest Tucker, you know, was supposed to have a giant dick, and they had a contest, and they go, Milton, what are you going to do? He goes, I'll pull out enough to win. <laughs> and, you know, so I said to Alan, is it true? And he goes, yeah. I go, did you see it? He goes, yes. I go, yeah, what happened? At the drop of a hat. He and and Alan said he's in the, yeah, the Milton Burroughs uh, dressing room, and he's got a robe on, and Alan's giving him notes, and then all of a sudden he said, Milton Burrell said, do you want to see it? And he's like, what? He goes, you know, my cock, do you want to see it? And Alan said, all right, sure. And he goes, and he pulled it out, I go, it was a big, and Alan goes, it was a salami. It was this thing on the table like this. And he goes, my jaw dropped open, and I'm just staring at it, like gawking, and right then he said, Gilda Radner came in, and so... Milton Burrow with his dick lying across the table, and Alan like... God, she never told me that. Yeah, and he said she walked in, she went like, oh, I'll, I'll come back, you know. Oh, God. Can you imagine? Wow. Or did you way. have to imagine, Lorraine? Oh, what aren't you telling us? Nothing, I swear. Did you sleep with Milton Burrow or not? Damn it, John, I told you there were certain questions I didn't want you to ask me. Fine, we'll let it go. I didn't get to see it. <coughs> well, how did the, when the when the season uh, uh, ended? Were you, you know, I heard that Lawrence said, "Well, we're going to end it after five years because there's no more." Or what was that like when you decided they said that well, it was going to keep going? He, but he wanted to. He said, "I want to leave when we're still good." And you know, it was I, I, Captain. We knew that Gene Demanian, who had been, the, I think, the talent coordinator, was going to go on and produce the show, and we didn't feel that it would be the same show, and that's why we all left when he left. And did you ever think, are you just shocked that it's still on the air 39 I'm years amazed, later? I'm amazed, but it's, it's great in the sense that I love watching sketch comedy, so I'm happy that it's there to watch. I mean, I, I enjoy watching it so much. Who, who are some of the people over the years that you... Uh, Got a big kick at it. Oh God! Oh uh, well, I love Amy Poehler and Kristen Wiig and Tina Fey, uh, Jan Hooks, Christine Ebersole. Um, oh, I know I'm going to forget people. I love uh, Bobby Moynihan and Mike Myers. Um, oh, uh, Bill Hader. Oh God, Will Ferrell. Um, oh, God, there's so many. Oh, uh, Fred Armisen. There's just... It, you think it's it, amazing how we, they keep finding people that are completely unknown, and then they just get huge, and there's yeah. like so talent. It's like an endless supply of talent. I and know. that show can go on forever. Yeah, it could. Uh, someone, I asked someone uh, some Twitter questions, you know, if they want to ask me on Twitter, and they said, what... Uh, was it like a, uh, you know, you always hear, oh, Saturday Night Live, it's a boys' club, and the woman, the women, and they had a hard time getting sketches on. What, how, I, I've always said that it is a meritocracy. 
whatever is funny goes on the air. The women, from my perspective, were never shut out, were never kept, <coughs> kept down. Um, it, it just, whatever was working, whatever was getting laughs, is going to go on the show. That's it. I mean, it's a business. That's how it works. Well, tell us, then you left the show. Now, you have a huge career. Tell us about, you know, in animation. You're also, Lorraine's a great writer. Uh, by the way, what's your website? LorraineNewman.com? Yes. Yeah, and I looked at it, and it's like, it's a very creative website. You just look at it. Your website is fun. I haven't seen any website like that. I mean, it's very clear and plain, you know, to get around, but it's also, well, I, it, it's, a, it, it's your personality. It's it, it's fun. Yeah. You have little pictures of all your characters, and you click mm -hmm. on it and see it, and then you're, you, you know, you, you, uh, you know. Besides that, you write what for the Huffington Post, the food uh, oh, table yeah. for one blog, one for the table dot com, table. which is a food blog. It's people who don't write about food writing about food. And we have lots of great contributors, uh, Alan Zweibel being one of them. But you know, screenwriters Steve Zalian is one of them, and uh, Ariana Huffington has contributed, and. Even John McCain gave us like a coleslaw recipe one time, and it's just, it's a really fun blog. You should write for it sometime. But um, I've also written for McSweeney's. Right. And, in and uh, out Burger, oh, your friend. That's what I'd be writing. Uh, by the way, people, you should know that this club makes the best French fries I have ever had in my life. Has anybody ordered them? How great are they? They're really good. Yes, they are very French. Well, what, can you do some of your, um, just for entertainment, or some of the uh, voices you do in animation? Um, well, like you did SpongeBob? See. I have done SpongeBob. I am Grandma Plankton on SpongeBob. Uh, let me see. What would she say? Oh, give me my medicine, damn it. Well, she wouldn't curse, but give me my medicine. I'll go to sleep now. And uh, does anybody ever watch this Told by Ginger? I don't know if this is demographic, but I played the mother on that, Lois Foutley. And uh, she was kind of from New Hampshire, and she would yell at a kid, Carl, Ginger, get in here. I want to take a, a bath and bring me that Havati cheese, will you? And, uh, oh, God. Did you always do voices or growing yeah. up, just goofing off? I think so, yeah. That's how most people do it. Well, we're going to take some questions from the audience. Raise your hand if you want to ask. Are they ready to do that, Mark? Yeah. Raise your hand if you have any questions for Lorraine. I said Gilda, sir. Ooh. Well, I'm thinking of all that. In the meantime, what was your favorite? Someone tweeted, what was your favorite character to play on Saturday Night Live? Oh, God. It's from Sam Myers. Oh, I get that question so many times, and I, I can never really answer it. I, I liked a lot of the characters that I brought from the Groundlings. But I also liked creating new ones. You know, there's some seat of your pants characters that you come up with at the, you know, the twelfth hour. Um, when Danny, uh, I think one time Danny wasn't there to do the show. I think Danny and John left in the fourth year. Yeah, they left the fourth season. And um, so we had Bad Playhouse, and we needed. Uh, he did Leonard Pinth Garnell. So I had to play Lady Pinth Garnell, and I did not know what I was going to do. And that day I had seen Murder on the Orient Express, and I had seen Wendy Hiller play a dowager, and I decided that would be a marvelous voice for Lady Pinth Garnell. But I'm telling you, that came to me 
seconds before I had to go on. So seconds before seconds before, you oh know, my so God. I love shit like that. Not. Um, so, I mean, it's hard to say. I, I love a lot of the characters that I've done. Caitlin, uh, she says, please just tell her I think she's so amazing and idolize her uh, and ask what was it like to be one of the first women of SNL? The first women? First three? <laughs> well, Gilda used to say that at the end of our tenure there, we would have to split a watch three ways. <laughs> Here's an interesting question from MJ. Who would you rather make out with now, Chevy Chase, me, or a vacuum cleaner? You, MJ. Who? MJ tweeted that, right? Yes. Mm. MJ. Do you know him? I do. That's a I friend think. of yours? No, I have no idea who that is. <laughs> Made you look. <laughs> so stupid. These people I go, it's 8 p.m. They go, when it's 8 p.m. in the West Coast, it's 6 p.m. in Oklahoma. That's the tweet? That doesn't even make sense. No, when it's 8 p.m. in the West Coast, it's 6 p.m. in Hawaii. Well, this is why the middle of the country is so bright. Do you have any questions from the audience you'd ask, like to ask Lorraine? Oh, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. How do you get into character before you go into a show? How do I get into character? Well, this is not acting. It's sketch work, so... Um, it, it doesn't have a lot of depth to it. That's what I like. No depth. So uh, <laughs> I, it doesn't really require any kind of getting into it. I mean, usually it just requires a costume or a wig. But then you just pretend and go. Oh, right? I pretend, It's more yes. fun. It's so much fun. I love it. Did you guys rehearse the sketches ever? Oh, yeah. Well, camera blocking, you know. Camera blocking. Yeah, but we would sometimes we would you'd camera block a sketch on a Thursday at three in the afternoon, and then you wouldn't do it again until till Saturday dress. That's what's And so I could amazing. never get anybody to 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 rehearse with me. Oh, I know. But that's what was so amazing to me that everything is the same. I heard Andy Samberg on uh, the radio getting interviewed, and and he ran down the schedule, and it's exactly the same as it was when we. That was why I wanted to do it, but. But when you were doing it, it was like, it was, I mean, if, imagine this, a show now, if it has a 14 rating, in prime time, it's huge. You guys had a 14 rating on a Saturday night at 11.30. I mean, that thing was a phenom, that Eventually, show. yeah. It was exciting. Well, I, I told you about the time that John Lennon said hi to me in the hall at 30 Rock. No, tell us that, no, I didn't. Oh, well, I was... Uh, I had come from being photographed by Francesco Scavullo, who was a very big uh, fashion photographer in the 70s and 80s, I guess. And um, I was going to read through, and out of my peripheral vision, I could see these two people. And as they came into focus, I could see it was John and Yoko. And as they passed in front of me, in front of me uh, John said, hi, Lorraine. And I mean, it was like, he knew my name, you know. And I... Yeah. I just, I couldn't even, I, I couldn't talk. I had no saliva in my mouth. I was like, <laughs> and I got into the elevator to go up to read through, and I wanted to scream, John said hi to me in the hall, but I realized that that would sound really high school. 
So I didn't do it. I had, I had the same experience. You did? Well, it, it was Cher, but... That's cool. <laughs> no, but she was in her dressing room. And I, went, I went to say, she goes, hi, John. I go, That's great. Hello. That's yeah, I know, but it's shocking that they know who you are. I know. But the Beatles, nothing's bigger than that. I know. I got to meet a couple of them. It's amazing. Uh, it's unbelievable. Who has a question for Lorraine? Where? Over there. Oh, come, come go over there next. Go ahead. I have a question for Lorraine. Can you describe <laughs> your experience of having worked on Invaders from Mars, please? Oh, well, um, as I said, I'm a horror nerd, and I happen to have loved that movie. Uh, I also loved Toby Hooper, original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Uh, I had worked with Timothy Bottoms before. Um, I'm trying to think of what it was, though. And I, anyway, uh, it was interesting. Louise uh, Fletcher, uh, James Karen, Karen Black. That was, we worked in the house that we, uh, was our home, was the same house that was used in Mr. Blanding's Dream House with Cary Grant. And uh, it was exciting. Um, also, Dale Dye was the guy who coordinated the Marines, who, uh, you know, we used Marines in the movie. And he has now become an actor. He is ubiquitous in any movie that you see with... Uh, like a military guy in it. And uh, I also like seeing the special effects being done. It was a good experience. Hey, I, I had a question popped in my head about SNL because you said, you know, John Lennon said hi to me. And I realized, you know, you guys were all unknown and then you started becoming like super famous. And, and then I remember after the first season, Chevy left to go on, and then what was that like when you came back and he wasn't there? Was that strange, or what, what went through your guys' minds? Like, Well, I was worried. I mean, I really thought that, uh, you know, his personality emerged so strongly from Update, and I, I was really concerned. I thought it would jeopardize the popularity of the show. So, um, I mean, when I came back and he wasn't there, I, I just, you know, it was... It was hard to really, you know, when you're on TV, you don't really have a perspective that there are millions of people watching you. You have the sense of the 300 people that are in the studio. That's it. You can't really have a uh, kind of a big picture sense. So that was the extent of it. <coughs> God, I remember my very first sketch, and I remember thinking, oh my God, the whole 30 million people are watching this show. I went, oh, no, the West Coast is three hours later. Okay, that cuts out 10 million. <laughs> and I didn't realize there's like 5 million people watching. I had no Because of the concept. time slot? I don't know. what I, I just thought it was this like, giant thing, and I thought, I'll do the first sketch, and then I'll say you're fired. And, I mean, <laughs> the, you, you, know, you don't know, but when I, when I got to the show, it was, Lauren was coming back. It was 11th year of the show. And on the ninth, you know, Studio 8H is on the 8th floor of Rockefeller Center. On the ninth floor is where the people come sit in the bleachers up above. They had a glass case. And in the case, they had a, a life-size, uh, uh, they, uh, they had uh, Eddie Murphy's Gumby costume. So this is 1985 with a life mask of Eddie Murphy. And next to that, they had a mannequin 
with John, on, on it was John Belushi's bee costume. Oh, my God. And so you guys, you had a tough job because you're creating the show from scratch. When I got on, it was like, Lauren's back. Are you going to be the next, you know, you guys? And, and I was just like, I can't do what they do. I'm like, what the hell am I going to do? You well, know? that's a... That's a lot of weight to carry on your shoulders. I mean, well, that was the reality. That when, because when I, because of because of you guys succeeding and making the show a phenom and getting a chance to do movies and everything, then everyone after that, when they got on the show, the first thing any reporter asks you goes, "So, do you, what else do you want to do? Do you want to do movies? Do you want to do plays?" I go, "Oh God!" And I go, "I just got here." Yeah. I go, "I want to <laughs> do this." I go, "What about this?" Yeah. But it's well, that's constant. a good attitude to have. Is just this. Just do this. You know, it was tough. I loved it, but there was a lot of times I said, "Get me the hell off this show!" And it was. I know it, it was, was so very competitive. Tough. It was crazy. Yeah. What you had a question, didn't you? Yeah. Oh, we're uh, when you when we watch SNL, it's very fun to watch people keep from bursting out laughing. Do you remember a specific occasion where you had to try really hard to not burst <coughs> out laughing? There was only one time that I had that problem. And it was uh, with Rodney Dangerfield. Uh, we were doing a takeoff on the Woody Allen movie Manhattan called Manhasset. And I played the Mariel Hemingway role. And I mean, I'd heard this line in rehearsal. I'd already heard it, you know. Um, but the <laughs> line was, uh, you know, I can't remember my character's name. It was like, you know, Stacy, don't go to Manhasset. I'll tell you, it's rough. I bought a waterbed and there was a guy at the bottom of it, you know? <laughs> I mean, I'd already heard it and I just, I fucking lost it, you know? And I just had to, just look away, look away. He was great. But that was the only time in the five years where I really had trouble, you know, holding back. What's with the blue light? Is that time is up? Huh? That's a good Don't time. whisper the answer. I can't hear you. <laughs> what? Wrap it up. Oh, okay. wrap it up. All right. Does anyone else have any other questions for Lorraine? You have any questions for me? I do. I have one. Did you ever have a crush on anybody that you worked with? Like, well, I dated Danny. But, oh, um, now you bring that up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask you to bang this, but that's not For how long? Uh, very briefly, but we're still very fond of each other. And, um, uh, well, I mean, I was, you know, I've never really been starstruck by actors because I grew up here, you know, and if you walk, through, I mean, whenever you Christmas shop, you see movie stars all the time. But musicians... So when David Bowie hosted the show, I was really starstruck. And I mean, not a crush, but just like, oh my God, starstruck. Well, I want to thank you for being on the show. I just want to end with one quick story, which you can tell was, uh, you remember the party you had at your house? Oh, yeah. This, this, everyone goes like, what was it? Because I'm sure like you, I wonder, what was it like in the original Saturday Night Live? And I, Lorraine invites me to this party, and every comedian is there. And Gilda Radner was there, and I'd never met her. And she was just, like, I liked her immediately, like, like immensely. She was just so nice and warm. And Bill Murray was there. And about an hour into the party, or hour and a half of the party, all of a sudden I look up, 
and Bill Murray has Gilda Radner over his shoulder. It's Billy and Danny. Oh, Billy and Danny, and running around your house. Say your goodbyes now. She's a goner. <laughs> and she was laughing hysterically. Yeah. And it just felt like that's what the, it must have been like when, the, when you guys did it. Yeah. Well, Lorraine, thank you for being here, and thank, thank you, you for creating thank Saturday Night Live with everyone else. It's a real treat. I'm John Lovitz. We'll be back with another episode of Lovitz or Leavitz on the John Lovitz Vodcast Network here at Universal CityWalk. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Well, ladies and gentlemen, give it up one more time for Mr. John Lovitz and his very, very special guest, Miss Lorraine Newman. <laughs> <laughs>